tonight. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ. I am so glad to be here with each and every one of you, and I hope this morning that as we learn a little bit about joy, that we get to experience that from God, and that joy just runs rampant in this place this morning, that we get to revel in the joy that we get from Jesus today. May that joy be shared amongst us today, that just as God is glad to be with us this morning, that we can be glad to be with one another as well. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> Nothing I can do about that. So joy. <laughs> uh, we can even have joy when a 1954 harmophone <laughs> falls on the floor. <laughs> it was actually pretty amazing that when we acquired this campus, just how many treasures there were around this building. Um, from an original like 1950s Hammond organ, um, which is just amazing. It's, it's kind of in hiding in a secret place of mine uh, <laughs> over in the school, and uh, as well as this little gem. But anyhow, let's talk about joy. What is it? How do we get it? Can we lose it? And if so, how do we get it back? And how does joy differ from happiness? Because I know I say it a lot, that, well, I have joy. What really is the difference between joy and happiness? We kind of know that it's different, but how? And what does it look like? Those are some of the questions that we'll be kind of digging into today. So what do you guys think? What do you guys think joy is? Feel free just to say something, a characteristic of joy. How do you know that you have joy or that somebody around you has joy? Peace. Yeah. What else? Laughter. It's a mindset. Family. So for the next two weeks, today and next Sunday, we are going to be in Philippians. And um, so I want to give you a little bit of basis as we begin this two-week series. And so, because in this book, we have the Apostle Paul. And he is writing to the Philippians, the church in the European city of Philippi. Um, and he is in prison writing this around 62 AD. Okay? And he's most likely in Rome in his own quarters. Okay? Um, and so a little bit about the church in Philippi is that it was founded by Paul in around 50 AD after he had received a vision um, about going to Macedonia, okay? And so when he arrived in Philippi, uh, normally what Paul and his crew would do is that they would go, and they would go directly to the synagogue, okay? Uh, but the interesting thing about Philippi is that there didn't seem to be enough Jewish men in the town to actually have an established synagogue. So what he did is that instead he went down to the river, and down at the river, there was a group of women, and they were worshiping there. And one of these women was Lydia, okay? And she was a dealer in purple cloth. Lydia and her whole household uh, were baptized and actually became uh, the first European uh, convert 
if you will, um, to follow Jesus. So I think that's pretty cool that Lydia was the first Christian in all of Europe. And what's interesting here is what I, what I absolutely love about the Philippian church is that even though they were persecuted, even though they were poor, even though they were oppressed, they had a deep love for God, and they had a deep love and passion for one another. And so when you see the, the Apostle Paul and you get to read what he is writing and how he is writing, the theme, the characteristics of this letter that Paul wrote while in prison has a deep affection. So let's kind of dig into Philippians here. We're going to read the first 20 verses, um, but I want, what I want here is to us to get a feel for this letter, for us to get a feel of Paul's posture as he is writing from prison. All right, so here, let's go ahead and, uh, and read this. From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, to all those in Philippi who are God's people in Christ Jesus, along with your supervisors and servants, may the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray. And it's always a prayer full of joy. I'm glad because of the way you have been my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed it until now. I'm sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. I have good reason to think this way about all of you because I keep you in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters, and so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will then be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes from Jesus Christ in order to give glory and praise to God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. The whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for Christ. Most of the brothers and sisters have had more confidence through the Lord to speak the word boldly and bravely because of my jail time. Some certainly preach Christ with jealous and competitive motives, but others preach with good motives. They are motivated by love because they know that I'm put here to give a defense of the gospel. The others preach Christ because of their selfish ambition. They are insincere, hoping to cause me more pain while I'm in prison. What do I think about this? Just this. Since Christ is proclaimed in every possible way, whether from dishonest or true motives, I'm glad and I'll continue to be glad. I'm glad because I know that this will result in my release through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body, now as always, whether I live or die. So, Paul's in prison, and he was probably there for about two years. And from that little bit of text there saying, that I expect to get out soon means that he's probably almost to the end of those two years. So if you can imagine yourself sitting in prison 
for two years in Rome. Now, it might be kind of cushy that he had his own quarters, all right, so I guess that's kind of good, um, and that he had a guard there as well. Um, I would hope that I would be like Paul, but if we place ourselves there, like, is our first reaction really to think, I'm in prison, and because I'm in prison, the gospel is being advanced, and my suffering and persecution here is motivating my brothers and sisters to have joy and to propel the gospel as well. You know, if I'm honest with myself, I'm pretty sure that I would be grumbling, that I would be complaining, that I would try, be trying to figure out how did I get here, who put me here, who's responsible for this, what's my plan to escape, <laughs> you know, um, and I think that I mean, I know I would definitely pray, right? But I'm pretty sure that my prayer would probably be, God, help me get out of here. Because I don't want to be here. I miss my friends. I miss my family. I miss my brothers and sisters in Philippi. But here, Paul has a posture of thanksgiving. Paul has a posture of joy. I mean, how do you think that Paul remains so encouraging, so positive, so thankful, so joyful, so glad, selfless, confident, loving, expectant, and courageous. I have an idea. I bet that Paul had a television, okay, in his quarters in the Roman prison. And I bet you he's a fan of the Netflix original series, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Because in this episode, season one, episode four, this is what definitely gives us joy. Let's go ahead and watch this clip. Hi, Mrs. Voorhees. Hi, Ate Vera. Are you praying? Do you need a bucket? This is a joy pose. It's scientifically proven that if you look good on the outside, So, Paul, I'm pretty sure that Paul had to have done that. You know, Paul's there. And just kept a smile on his face until he felt better. And you know what, I bet that that Roman guard that was there with him, Paul just had that guy smiling and reminding him that joy comes from the outside in and all you got to do is just smile bigger with all of your teeth showing at the same time. I'm happy up here, you guys. I'm really glad to see you. I'm so glad that that harmophone just <laughs> fell right there at the beginning of the message to distract me from all of your wonderful smiling faces. Oh, unbreakable. So, I don't know about that, actually. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think perhaps that Paul's source of joy was a little different. And I think that most of us know better than that. But nevertheless, it's funny. And that was a pretty joyful moment that we got to share in. So let's dig into some of uh, the original Greek, okay? Um, and uh, I, I tell you, this, this whole prepping for this message has been transformational for me. And it's actually, it's been about two years since I've actually preached. And I've never preached from this stage. And uh, it's an honor. I love it. And, and as I just 
was able to receive God's word this week and digest in all of this scripture. Um, It's been transformational, to say the least, um, on joy. So I dug into the Greek, and I was surprised at what I found. Because when we're talking about joy, we can't start to talk about joy without grace. And that was something that I never necessarily thought of. So grace, let's put up some of that Greek So grace, charis, God coming near, extending himself, leaning toward us with kindness and favor. Have you ever thought about grace in that sense? I know for us, you probably have grown up Lutheran and and been through confirmation as that we're taught is an acronym of God's riches at Christ's expense. And so if you think about it like this, that what is God's riches? That God is, as Wynn had preached about the last couple weeks, about this inheritance that we have, and that we get to receive all the riches of God in Christ because of God coming near to us in kindness. That God is glad to be with you. He's glad to be with you. And I think I was talking with Wynn earlier that when we talk about the word glad, okay, is that. Um, I think it, it's really, it's lost some of its oomph um, from the way that God intended it to be. Because when we look at biblical gladness, is that normally, well, in our American gladness, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that worked out for you. Or I'm glad you got that job. I'm, I'm glad that you didn't get hurt that bad. But when you actually look at what gladness is, gladness is an ecstatic delight a exuberant joy. And so when I say that I'm glad to be with you, I have an exuberant joy that I am truly excited to be with you. And God says that about us. God is glad. God has exuberant joy to be with us and to lavish upon us his kindness. So when we think about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by God coming near to us in his kindness. And that through this faith, that we can believe in him and receive all the promises of him. So when we talk about joy, we talk about grace. Because notice here, what you'll see is that this is charis. So notice the root word there. Let's go to the next slide. This is joy, kara state of great pleasure from recognizing God's grace. Let's go to the next one. Rejoice. Cairo, an outward expression of gladness while experiencing God's grace. Let's go to the next one. Rejoice with. Sung Cairo, sharing God's grace with another person so that both rejoice together. There's a word. Cognate. For any of us who speak another language, we may be familiar with that. But these all are these are cognates, which means they all share the same root and fundamental meaning. So when we talk about joy, we talk about grace. We talk about grace. So what's it mean? Joy is both received and shared. Joy begins with God's grace. And is made complete in sharing that grace with one another. 
It's received through God's grace, his coming near to us in kindness. And he is glad and ecstatic to see us. And here's the thing. God isn't just glad to see you when you're at your best. He isn't just glad to see you when you're fervent in prayer, when you've avoided temptation. God is glad to see you. He delights in being with you in your best and your worst. Does that bring you guys comfort? Because it sure brings me a lot of comfort. So let's read Hebrews 1.9. So the writer of Hebrews quoting from Psalm 45. You have loved what is right and hated what is evil. That is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness and lifted you above your companions. So, he has anointed us with the oil of gladness. That is part of our identity. And also when we're talking about joy, we're talking about an identity. We're talking not just about being connected, but it's about belonging. That we belong to God, and he delights over us. And this word here of gladness is the same of exultation. It's almost like a jumping for joy. So it's an outward expression here. Next one. So we, we read there in Hebrews, joy has been given to us. We have received it. And now we're getting into the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit, unconditional love, joy, peace, patience, kind-heartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is received. We do not make joy by just smiling, by just lying to ourselves that if I just smile enough, if I just pretend I'm not here in this place where there is sorrow, I can have joy. If you continue to watch that clip, is that they continue to bounce up and down saying, I'm not really here. I'm not really here. So have you ever been in a situation where there's sorrow, there's tension, there's hardship, there's no belonging, and you just don't want to be here. And if you think, if I just wasn't here, if I were anywhere else, I would have joy. We read there in Hebrews and in Galatians that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, that joy has been given to us, and that joy gets to be experienced by the kind presence of God in our life, saying, I'm glad to be with you. Joy is also shared because through delighting in being with one another in both our best and our worst selves. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that, that joy can actually be shared? Because I think we know so far that joy comes from Jesus. And so we might think, no, I, I, joy can't be shared. I can't give you joy because joy comes from Jesus. But remember is that because this is about belonging and identity, we have been given authority to represent God wherever we go, to represent his heart because we have Christ within us. And so we can share this joy that as we have received this grace, this kindness in God's presence where he delights to be with us, as we've experienced that and received that from God, because Christ is in us, we can then be glad to see one another. 
I think of my son this morning when he woke up. He snuck into our bed around 5.30, and uh, he fell back asleep. And uh, when I, he had, I was kind of getting dressed and stuff, and he was in my bed, and he woke up. And he looked at me, and he said, Dad. And he was excited to see me. I think that when we look at kids, and when we even hear Jesus have faith like a child, kids have joy by being loved by their parents. You think of an infant in a crib, that they get fearful when their mom or their dad's face isn't there. But then as soon as you respond to their call, when they see you, they smile. And I think when we're boiling joy down, it's like a child being brought joy in a great state of pleasure because they know that their mom or their dad is glad to be with them. There's an exuberant joy. And so what we can say is that joy casts out fear. So joy is shared. So Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5. Let's hear Paul talk about this. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with one another. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Let's do one more. 2 John 1.12. Here's what John says. I have a lot to tell you, and I don't want to use paper and ink, but I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy can be complete. So here's where I'm picking up on that. We receive joy through God's kind presence in delighting to be with us. And our joy is made complete by sharing it with one another. By sharing it with one another. That guys, God is glad to be with us. We then extend that grace which produces joy in one another by saying, I am delighted to be with you today. Because what it says is that you have a place in my life. You are important. I'm glad to see you. It doesn't matter if, you're, if you've screwed me over. It doesn't matter if you are making me mad, if you're irritating me. And I know that as a father of two toddlers that are almost twins, is to say like, am, are you bringing joy right now? And am I glad to be with you? Even when you're causing all my hair to go gray or, you know, all that kind of stuff and just causing me to pull my hair out and like, I just want to do this. And that's been a real challenge for me this week, that as God has convicted my heart as I've been preparing for this, am I actually glad to be with my kids even when they're at their worst? Or do I just send them to their room? Because they're mature enough to figure out how to return to joy on their own. Probably not. Our kids need to be shown how to return to joy. Because if if we just say, you're in time out, go be by yourself for a while, how, what, how am I actually teaching them that when they're at their worst, because chances are they're at their worst because they've lost their joy. They're at their worst because they've lost their joy. So how am I, as their dad, helping them to know how to return to this joy that they've been given? That's one of the differences between joy and happiness. Boy, is a gift, it has been received 
through the kindness of God, through his presence and delighting over one of us, so we know that, does God ever leave us or forsake us? No. No, he doesn't, which means that we always return to it. Happiness, Greek word makarios, which is synonymous with blessed, is actually more circumstantial. Even in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, do this and you will be blessed. You will be happy if you do this. Happiness tends to be more temporary and circumstantial. It's good to be happy. We can't say joy is good and being happy is bad. However, with joy, it, it is not temporary. Joy is a state of being of great pleasure. And the thing about pleasure, that actually when you start doing some reading on it, pleasure is kind of a phenomenon that it's not necessarily definable. It's not necessary. So there is a mystery within all of this. So when we share our joy with others, it is made complete. So here's another quote about joy. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. This is said by uh, Marcus Warner, the author of Rare Leadership, one of my favorite books. Joy is the emotional currency that God has given us in order to be our best selves. Joy is the emotional currency that God has given us in order to be our best selves. Now, joy, we know it's more than an emotion, okay? It's more of a state of being through the uh, presence of God's grace, right? But it does result in emotions and how it can be shared. So, currency. When I say currency, what do I mean? Currency, think about money, okay? Economy, um, and uh, that currency has value, and it can be uh, received and given. It can be given and shared, okay? So that. Joy is an emotional currency. Now, to be our best selves, what does that mean? So when we live in a place of joy, when God's kingdom is what we're seeking first, when our relationship with Jesus is more important than anything, when he remains our first love, okay, um, we have that place of joy because we know that he's glad to be with us, is that we are able to remain relational, okay? We keep our relationships bigger than the problems. How many times have you kind of felt like maybe you've, you've lost your joy or experienced a certain negative emotion, and all of a sudden, you just want that person to go away? We'll get to that in a bit. Our best selves also, in addition to just being relational and keeping problems underneath relationships, is that I think a lot of the fruit of the Spirit hinges on joy. That I think if we lose our joy, it's hard to have peace. If we lose our joy, it's hard to be patient, it's hard to be kind. It's hard to be good, hard to be faithful. It's hard to have self-control. I think a lot of this um, hinges on joy, and that joy comes right after God's love. Because I think God's love, right, is shown through God's grace. That out of his love, his nature of love, his unconditional agape love, that he comes near to us with his kindness and says, I'm glad to be with you. Joy and the fruit of the Spirit follow. Joy is a state of great pleasure received solely from the kind presence of God. So, 
hopefully what we're getting from this so far is that joy is relational. Joy is relational. It is received and it is given, it is shared. Joy is made complete in our sharing of joy. A healthy spiritual family understands the importance of building joy in others and teaches them how to return to joy from every difficult experience. Almost thinking of like the quote that it takes a village to raise a child. Okay? It takes a village, a culture of joy to help one another return to joy because we lose our joy. I'm not up here saying we're just, you know, we have joy all the time because we lose it and we know we lose it. And so in our missional communities, as we are trying to use these vehicles to help us build spiritual family, is that are we, ha- are we building spiritual families that are joy-filled environments? For those who lead MCs, are you glad to see everybody who is there, whether they're in their worst or their best? If one of your spiritual family members comes to you at their worst, what's your response to them? Are you helping them return to joy by coming near to them and being glad to see them? I think oftentimes in our frustration, rather than helping our children or spiritual children return to joy, we get hit with an emotion that causes us not to help them return to joy, but we both lose our own joy. So what happens when we share this joy? We help each other live as our best selves, and joy multiplies. I think of the story of my son today. Another uh, Warner quote says, joy is the sparkle in a person's eyes when they're glad to be with someone, and that person is glad to be with them. And I, I think of my son this morning, um, and then even with Ileana too, is that her bedroom sits kind of here, the stairwell's here, and I heard her kind of stirring up, and I started to walk down the stairs, peered over the ledge, and I looked in at her. She didn't see me yet, and uh, I was just kind of watching her because she can be a kind of a quirky little girl sometimes. And, um, and so she didn't, but when, she, when her eyes locked with mine this morning, she smiled and ran over to me. Are we glad to see one another? And through faith, do we believe that when we're in the presence of God, that he delights to be with us in our best and our worst selves? So the reality is that we can lose our joy. How do you guys feel right now? You feel joyful? Not all of us in here probably feel joyful. There's a lot of stuff that can hit us. And in particular, there's six negative emotions that we can experience as people that can steal our joy pretty quickly. There's an acronym um, that in order for you to remember it, and for me to remember it too, is sad, sad. All right? So we got shame, anger, disgust, sadness, anxiety, which is really fear, and despair. These six negative emotions can steal our joy in an instant. So... I'm going to share a story about Ashley and I at the dinner table the other night. And 
because this is this is honestly has been uh, a struggle for me, and because I can lose my joy, and sometimes it can take up to two weeks um, even for me to to return to that place of joy. So anyhow, uh, we're having a great conversation just about ministry, about some stuff with the band, and and she was asking good questions, and in my natural state, because of my emotional maturity, wherever that is, uh, there's a good chance that uh, it's a emotional maturity of a child, because believe it or not, 80% of men in our country live with the emotional maturity of an infant. It's, it, <laughs> and I'm honest with myself, I'm in that camp too. Because here's what happens, I'm not going to dig into it too deep. Uh, I may have to tell Rob that he's not preaching next week, so I can have a whole other Sunday on this. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but if we lack certain things, we can experience trauma in our childhood, either that bad things were done to us or good things were withheld from us. And when we're an infant, we have certain needs, certain emotional needs. And if our parents or spiritual family is not providing those to us, or maybe we're unwilling to receive it, uh, whatever um, task it was that we needed to learn how to do, we actually get stuck there. So if, they're, um, so if, y- if you know somebody, uh, who is unstable in their emotions and cannot um, bring themselves under control. So you think of something who's kind of erratic and unable to control their emotions. There's something from their infancy that was traumatic. They did not learn how to regulate their emotions. And those are just the kind of things that, um, when we're talking about these negative emotions, that there's wounds. There's woundedness in these that cause us to lose our joy. And so anyhow, when I'm asked questions all of a sudden, I start to kind of melt down. When I'm usually when I'm at my worst, when I'm not in a place of joy. And so she was just simply asking good questions. But in my head, I was kind of internally spiraling down, and I was fearful that, well, you know, is the obviously I'm not doing a good job. Am I worthy of this position? Am I um, do, am, the way I'm leading? Is it even the right way to be leading? And all these questions start to come up. And all of a sudden, I start to have internal meltdown. And then in that moment, it was no longer I was no longer curious about how. Ashley was actually feeling. I didn't care about Ashley. I boiled her down to a problem to be solved. And the answer to that question was, this conversation needs to stop, or you need to go away, or I need to go away, because I don't know how to handle this right now. We've all been in those types of situations where we're visibly irritated, argumentative, all those kind of things, and all of a sudden, we just don't know what to do So we typically um, can get aggressive in nature or defensive. All this is depending on the emotion. So which is your emotion that typically can hit a place of woundedness in your life? Is it shame? Is Is it anger, anxiety, disgust, sadness, despair? All of these things can be tied to an emotion. So, um, in that moment with my wife across the dinner table, I failed to recognize that in that moment, God was delighted to be with me. In that moment, I, because I forgot that, I was not able to live from a place of joy, and joy, I was not able to be shared. But Ashley was able to share it with me uh, because she reminded me of what was really going on, the reality of situations, right? So anyhow... Um, 
I want to get into, it's going to be quick. Ashley said this has to be quick, Jason. So brain science, okay? I'm going to keep it real quick. We have a right brain and a left brain. Most of us know all that, okay? The, right, the left side of our brain is where the information processing happens, primarily analytical. It's a slow track, okay? Things don't go as fast over here as they do over here. And we're talking milliseconds. This is the relational side of our brain. This is the nonverbal side of our brain, and it moves quicker. Because you know that you might have walked in here this morning, seen someone where there's tension, and all of a sudden you felt an emotion that may not be logical. But you felt it. Okay? And what ends up happening is that in our brains, as things move from one part, to another, things can get stuck in one part of the brain. There's really, there's kind of four levels. And so on the second level, we can get stuck. And that's where fight or flight happens. It's when things get stuck in there that we end up developing fear bonds with people rather than love. So if you're afraid of your boss, okay, and you really shouldn't be, but you are, you can get stuck. And so with all this joy stuff that we're talking about, what we want is the ability to return to joy quickly. And here are some things that, um, that can help us with all this, okay? Because when we lose joy, these relational circuits, they tend to turn off. When we lose our joy, we, we aren't able to keep the relationship bigger than the problem. We tend to manage people. We tend to micromanage people. We tend to just start to control them a little bit more because um, it's no longer about the relationship, but they're a problem to be managed or a means to an end. So when we lose our joy, here's what we can do, okay? So to be able to return to joy, the first and foremost thing is to remember. Remember that God loves you. And that he's coming near to you with kindness. And he's glad to be with you. You belong to him. He's delighted in you. Let's read 1 Peter 1, 3-9. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. On account of his vast mercy, he has given us new birth. You have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a pure and enduring inheritance that cannot perish. An inheritance that is presently kept safe in heaven for you. Through his faithfulness, you are guarded by God's power so that you can receive the salvation he is ready to reveal in the last time. You now rejoice. You jump up and celebrate in this hope, even if it's necessary for you to be distressed for a short time by various trials. This is necessary so that your faith may be found genuine. For your faith is more valuable than gold, which will be destroyed even though it is itself tested by fire. Your genuine faith will result in praise, glory, and honor for you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you've never seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you trust him. And so rejoice, celebrate with a glorious joy that is inexpressible, that is too much for words. You are receiving the goal of your faith, your salvation. And my hope is that that verse there can reorient us to what's important. God has given us everything. That even though we don't see him, we trust in him. 
we cling on to his words of life. And so that one of these parts of returning to joy is returning to your first love, that God loves you, that we have to make sure that God remains our number one and the things of the kingdom are number one. I'm reminded of the man in scripture where Jesus tells a story about a man who finds a treasure in a field and sells everything he has so that he can own that field because there he found the kingdom of God. So when we're able to reorient to looking to God first and receiving and embracing his delight over us, gives us joy, his grace. Don't isolate yourselves. It's the next point. Don't isolate yourselves from others. Remain relational and delight in being with others. If we do so, we will perpetuate, if, if we do isolate one ourselves, because once again, if we are making people a problem, so if that person's the problem, we're going to separate ourselves from them, which then perpetuates the lie that we are believing. And it continues to fuel a fight or flight mentality. So continuing to be relational, once again, repenting and coming back and saying, I am glad to be with you even in the midst of our tension, because we belong to one another, as we belong to Christ, and I'm glad to be with you. And you're hopefully glad to be with me. Doing these things over and over again, because being relational allows us not to run from the problem. So if we continue to be glad to be with one another, continually, one tense moment after another, it will rewire our brains so that this side of our brain no longer feels the need to enter into that fight or flight mentality. Now here, getting into the negative emotions, okay? We need to get to the why. Why, when I was sitting across the table from my wife, did I feel the need that I had to prove myself? That um, that I let fear get the best of me and steal my joy. That I put my own selfishness and pride before caring about how she actually feels. Wounds that cause us to get stuck in that part of our brain on the second floor in the fight or flight will lose our joy. So in order, we need to find out the why. Probably something from our childhood. A lot of these things have to deal with when we were infants and, and toddlers and elementary school kids. So we need to get back to the why that is. So we start with praying, Lord, reveal to me why when I get angry do I lose my joy and forget to recognize that you are glad to be with me. If it's shame, why? So in addition to praying, I mean, this stuff might be going into counseling. I had to do it. Ashley's had to do it. I know tons of other people. Counseling is a good thing. The Holy Spirit is a counselor. So I would encourage you that if you start identifying that, well, I'm just an angry person. I am just a person without shame. This is just who I am. I will tell you that no, it's not. You are a person designed to live from a place of joy and to revel in God's grace and that he is glad to be with you. That is not your identity. Those are lies from Satan and malfunctions in our brain. So we also need to be vulnerable and honest with where we're at. Because being vulnerable and honest with someone who is glad to be with you, you're no longer hiding those things underneath. 
Because once again, being our best selves means keeping relationships bigger than the problems. So, getting the why behind your negative emotions. And here's the thing too. If we want to share joy, if we want to perpetuate and multiply joy, and recognizing that things that steal our joy are weaknesses, for us, in order to be healthy leaders, which I hope all of us want to be healthy, whether or not we think we want to be leaders or not, that we can be healthy, and how we treat our own weaknesses. So how was I treating myself, my own weakness of fear and having to prove myself in that moment? Because if I believe that God is glad to be with me even in my worst, I can handle my own weaknesses with tenderness. I can handle my own weaknesses with grace. Because how I treat my own weaknesses, that's how I'll treat the weaknesses of others. So if I don't believe that God is glad to be with me even in my weaknesses, I'm not going to be glad to be with someone else in their weaknesses. Being tender with other people's weaknesses creates an atmosphere of vulnerability. It creates a safe place knowing that this person is still glad to be with me. So, we get to celebrate and rejoice together. We get to create joy-filled environment. So I think that as we receive God's grace, as we recognize and know that God has come close to us in his kindness and is delighted to be with us, we then are delighted and glad to be with one another, to be tender-hearted, to be kind, all that fruit of the Spirit, that we can rejoice together. We can rejoice together. Philippians 2, 14 to 18. Do all things without complaining or bickering with each other, so you will be found innocent and blameless. You are God's children, called to live without a single stain on your reputations among this perverted and crooked generation. Shine like stars across the land. Cling to the word of life, So that on that day of judgment, when the anointed one returns, I may have reason to rejoice. Because it will be plain that I didn't turn from his mission, nor did I work in vain. Even if my lifeblood is to be poured out like wine as a sacrifice of your faith, I have great reason to celebrate with all of you. And for the same reason, you can be glad and celebrate with me. Joy is received. It is shared is multiplied. I'm glad to be with you today. I hope you're glad to be with one another today so that this may be a joy-filled place so that those who are losing their joy can return to joy by being in your presence and knowing that you are glad to be with each other. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith to trust in your promises that you are glad to be with us, that we belong to you as your sons and daughters, that even in our worst, you are glad to be with us. Help us. Holy Spirit, help us to remember that, 
and to keep that truth above all things so that we may share it. Lord, for those times that we don't want to share it, for those times that we walk into places sulking, hoping that, well, hopefully someone will just share some joy with me. Let us be contributors in this spiritual family and in this city. So be seen in us, that your joy will be seen in how we rejoice, on how even when we experience those six negative emotions, that we still have joy. So Lord, it might take some of us a couple weeks, but I pray, Lord, that as, as we remain relational and spend time with you and abide in you, that that time will get shorter and shorter and shorter so that when we lose our joy, it's only a matter of minutes before we're able to get it back. Help us to be our best selves, to keep relationships first and foremost above the problems. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name.